Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Good evening everybody and welcome to Radio Gag. My name is Paul Rowley and I am your host for this evening's show. Tonight, gun rights, voting rights, the Supreme Court. What's up with that? A report back from the Women's March in DC this weekend. But first, this week's In Memoriam, where we honour a life lost to gun violence. Lockport, New York. Early Saturday morning, a Halloween party is in full swing in a house on Niagara Street. Inside the sounds of young people having fun, playing a game of party pong. From the darkness outside, two figures approach the side of the building. One raises their arm and shoots eight bullets through the closed garage door. Five were wounded by these shots including two current Medina High School students. One of those eight bullets found 20-year-old Cheyenne Farwell and took her life. As people ran from the house in the chaos, one of the partygoers held Cheyenne in her arms as she died. She wrote online, I want to say how sorry I am that I couldn't save you. You kept telling me you didn't want to die yet. And I said you wouldn't. I let you down. I tried so damn hard, I really did. Cheyenne was a student at Brockport College and was a National Honour Society member in high school. She was always a great friend to those around her, as well as an incredible daughter and sister. She was known for her smile, her laugh, and her honesty. She always spoke her truth and encouraged others to do the same. Cheyenne was studying to become a therapist and writer and wanted to break down barriers to talking about mental health. In her online obituary, her family wrote, In lieu of flowers, the family requests that you cherish every moment with your children, your family, your friends. Life is fleeting. The only thing we take with us is love. So I want, of course, we want to send our our love and condolences out to Cheyenne's family. Um, Once again, another life tragically taken by gun violence. And once again, actually, we are reminded of how close we all are to gun violence in this country um on the line right now i have gays against guns co-founder kevin herzog calling in from dc and kevin wants to share a story that is particularly related to this uh, in memoriam hey kevin hey paul hey everyone yeah so it was interesting i was um at work with an assistant who i've worked with for a long time and and he's a guy that i met through friends my friend Danelle's daughter became friends with him in college and um i was Danelle's gay friend kevin and he was Danelle's daughter's gay friend kevin and so we always had this like silly little connection and then after he graduated 
he was working in a coffee shop, which I felt was not suited to his artistic capabilities. And so I sort of um, kidnapped him into a life of um, fashion and glamour. And (laughs) (laughs) no complaint so far. And uh, so we were working together this week. And um, in the past, I have been the person who has uh, posted on Instagram and occasionally still am. And uh, so some he knows that. And he he's actually the person that does the graphics for us when we um, we deem someone a fierce queen, which is our highest honor in Gays Against Guns. You can be a fierce queen of gag and we um, take a picture, a sort of public picture of you and we um, we Photoshop in, I shouldn't say we, I should say Kevin Photoshops in a scepter and a crown and you are a fierce queen. That's all it takes. Like when the Pulse shooting happened and we were getting the group together, we were also working together, uh, you know, and, and he was he did so many things that, that helped us that first week. You know, we basically were being paid by our client, but we were spending almost all of our time organizing for uh, the pride March, which, which was coming up in the following week. And so he's sort of been, you know, around gays against guns since it first started. And he was scrolling through Instagram while we were standing there, you know, waiting for the process to unfold at our job. And he saw the post and he said, um, oh, my boyfriend's sister was good friends with this girl. Wow. And he assumed that I had posted it, but I said, oh, I didn't post it. Somebody else did. And he was like, he was like, yeah, like this just happened. And, and, you know, Nick's sister is so upset about it and, you know, just so mind-blowing that here's someone who was so senselessly killed. I mean, and he said that nobody, it's a complete and total mystery. You know, I think a lot of times, you know, depending on what the circumstances are, I think that there's like a story that no one's willing to talk about and that people know it's an open secret, but nobody talks about it. And, he said that that according to Nick's sister, like, this is just a complete and total mystery. Nobody knows why people started shooting at this party. It's just a totally senseless act. You know, there wasn't anybody there that anybody knew that anybody had any beef with, and it's not that kind of town really. But what's also so interesting is that um, earlier in the week we had been talking about um, Kevin going up and uh, visiting Nick's family upstate and he was meant to be there actually right now while we were doing the job but he couldn't go because we were working and so we were just talking about the experience that he has when he goes up there and they have guns all over the house there's like a rifle mounted above the door and there's always a couple of rifles sitting by the door and there's guns on the dining room table and Wow. Yeah, just guns, guns, guns. And and he said, you know, even before he was sort of involved in gun violence prevention, it still was so jarring. He grew up in Queens, you know, it's like there's not (laughs) there's no culture of leaving your gun on the dining room table. And uh, it makes a huge difference. Well, it does, because it just is so much easier to get guns when they're left lying around 
you know, or where there's a high concentration of guns in an area, this is where we see more people getting shot. I mean, I, it's basic, right? Yeah, and more suicides. And you more know, suicides the, the, as well, yeah. which is interesting. She was interested in mental health, you know, because, of course, ultimate, uh, mental health negative outcome is suicide. And it's so stark when you read the statistics around suicide and, and guns. And I just recently had the occasion to explain to someone that states that have looser gun laws have higher suicide rates per capita because the gun... It's not, I don't think, I have to do my research about this, but it's, I don't think it's the most popular form of um, completing suicides, but I think, but I know that it's the most effective. It's certainly the most effective, yeah. And what's also really interesting that always makes me so sad is that people I know, you know, friends who have attempted suicide, you know, and of course we know young LGBTQ folks are certainly much, much more likely to um, attempt suicide but sure. you know if you attempt suicide and you survive the chances of you trying to do that again are really low yep yeah but if, if you, you put can, a you gun to your head it's yeah. over you know a lot of times when we first started the group people would say like what like what is the gay angle on gun violence prevention and the truth is that i always have sort of felt like it's like of course there is because trans women of color are disproportionately and um, LGBTQ people are disproportionately at risk for suicide. But the truth of the matter is that it's it's much bigger than our community. And, and my and the sort of impetus for us to start the group was the Pulse nightclub massacre. But the reality is that once you start to really look at the numbers and dig down into it and let it sink in that 40,000 people almost a year are killed by gun violence, then I feel like it's almost a moral obligation to figure out what you can do about it. Yeah, and I think that this story in particular just reminds us again that with that number of people dying from guns in this country, we all know people, you know? Yep. It's almost yep. like zero degrees of separation at this point, yep. you know, that everybody knows somebody who's been shot. Yeah. Yeah, or if you don't know someone you love, you know, knows somebody like that's what happened for me at Pulse too. I had just broken up with with my now ex, and uh, and we hadn't seen each other in a couple of months actually. And the Pulse massacre happened, and we went down to Stonewall that following Monday. And I ran into him, and he said, um, "KJ, one of the people that got killed had been his student." Oh, at wow. And so, yeah, it's there's no there, there there's no escaping it. And the thing is that. Once that culture of guns sets in, I feel like once it becomes normalized for you, it's really hard to sort of deprogram yourself from that. Yeah, yeah. But I remember we talked about this before. I mean, we talk about it all the time, but you had a really good example, Kevin. You were saying that, you know, it's like smoking. You know, when we change, we've got to change the culture because at one point smoking was really cool and everybody was doing it and it was basically supported. And now that is not the case. Yeah. And it was glamorized. That's the thing that I always think about with guns. You know, it's glamorized. It's yeah. like, it's sexy, you know, and it's, and it's part of the whole sort of Trumpy thing. And now that we're staring at an election where guns may be used to intimidate 
people from going to the polls, it's sort of reached its apotheosis in a way. Well, I was just going to say, riding around the back of a pickup truck with a Trump flag and open carrying a gun does not sound glamorous to me, but <laughs> I guess it's a certain type of glamour. What if you were wearing a sequin ball gown? Well, that's different. <laughs> I can make that glamorous for you. <laughs> but that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to change the culture. We're trying to make guns tacky. We're trying to reduce the number of guns. We're trying to save lives. And I think it's when we hear day in, day out about how close this violence comes to us and we hear another tragic story about a young woman losing her life it just reminds us how we all need to, need to be in this struggle and everybody needs to come out against gun violence and it's also i feel like it's a chance for us to sort of wake ourselves up out of our stupor you know like there are so many issues that we deal with on a regular basis and there's so many high crimes and misdemeanors happening in the white house and there are so many injustices in our society and they're all things that need to be um, paid attention to and handled and managed. But if you look at the raw numbers, if you look at the numbers of people who are dying and why are they dying and which ones of those things are preventable, it's like heart disease, cancer, influenza, and gun violence. Yep. So there's only one of those things that we can really, aside from actually wearing a mask, we could probably really yeah. help out influenza. But even look at that, how that's been politicized and, and treated the same way. You know, it's not masculine to wear a mask and, you know, and it is masculine to carry a gun. You know, well, maybe masculinity is the problem. You think? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Problem for me, I'll tell you. Well, I'm telling you, toxic masculinity and racism just going hand in hand to really make this country what it is today. Yeah. All right, love. Well, thank you so much for calling in and taking the time out of your glamorous DC schedule. <laughs> Suppressed. <laughs> I am Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams, and one of the organizations I have such a great deal of respect for is the group Gays Against Guns. Your advocacy always on point. It doesn't matter if we're rallying together in Times Square or if we're on the corner of Utica Avenue standing up against gun violence. You continue to show that when a bullet leaves the barrel of the gun, it does not discriminate on who is going to hit. It takes the life of a gay person, a straight person, a black person, a white person, and you continue to be the voice of why we must protect all human beings. And I, I am proud to call you an ally and a friend. Thank you, Gays Against Guns. All right, folks. So next up on the line, calling in from Washington, D.C., we have radio gagger, Tricia Cook. Hey, Tricia, how are you? I'm good, Paul. How are you doing? It's nice to hear your voice. Likewise, hanging in here. All is good. Um, so tell us, what, what has you down in D.C.? I came down to D.C. to attend the Women's March down here uh, and also to 
um, hold space in front of the White House or as close to the White House as you can get because it's difficult to get. They've put up three fences now wow. around the White House to keep people from that space. Uh, so I've been down here uh, kind of occupying space there with an art project um, called We Will Not Be Silent. And bringing out banners, giving out signs. We've been distributing T-shirts, take take Trump down T-shirts. So we've just been trying to, you know, get people ready for November third and yep, <laughs> Trump down. Get people to the polls. Yeah, definitely. And tell us about the women's march. How did that go down? So the women's march was good. It was it was a good turnout. It was a beautiful day. I would say there was between. 5,000 and 10,000 people out in the streets. We started at Freedom Plaza where there are a number of speakers and marched to the Supreme Court um, where we were met with a number of kind of counter-protesters, pro-life counter-protesters, which was difficult. But, you know, there was a little exchange back and forth. But primarily we had speakers there who spoke, sang the Black National Anthem. It was really powerful moving time spent there and then we moved on from there to the mall uh, where they had set up space for people to do texting and um, get out the vote work um, so you know I mean it was a good I think it was a good day overall for women there was you know it was primarily focused on reproductive rights in the Supreme Court but it was also you know a lot let's get as many people as we can to get the vote, you know, get out the vote. Yeah. It was interesting because they had taken the artwork from the first Women's March in 2017 and created posters with Amy Comey Barrett on them in that, with that artwork, which was so disturbing, <laughs> so disturbing to see. You know, they just, they've now created these, posters that were up everywhere at the Supreme Court. Um, oh, so like the kind of the pro-lifer crew or? The, the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they basically just stole the design and kind of put her on one of those images that they had used uh, for for the first Women's March. I remember oh, my goodness. They're like, they can't even come up with their own poster design. I mean, how lame is that? It's like Melania Trump couldn't even get somebody to write a speech for her. Her own speech, you, right? She yeah. couldn't even come up with a decent speech. She had to steal Michelle's. I know. We also, a friend of mine brought down his Trump inflatable Trump rat, which he put up in Mount Pleasant. And then our friend Robin Bell, who does illuminations, projected uh, Amy Comey Barrett onto the Trump rat, which was... Really disturbing, but you know, but pretty effective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's an original art idea. You know, you don't have to steal somebody else's. Exactly. It doesn't take much. Right. You know? And yeah. then uh, later in the week, you're headed to Nashville. You're saying. Yes, we're going to go down to Nashville and protest Donald Trump's presence uh down um at the debate on thursday we're bringing different banners and signs and we've got some plans for kind of performance art down there uh yeah wow, to just fantastic. Sit, you know. thank you so much for being out there and tirelessly resisting um as many folk have in the last four years i don't know what we do without you 
Okay, so this, all this talk of the Supreme Court segues really well into what I want to talk about next, which is gun violence, the Second Amendment, and of course, this is on our minds with the potential appointment of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. I wanted to chat about what went down last week in the hearings because there's some telling background here that signals what might be coming down the gun pipeline and opens up interesting questions about judicial decision making, actually. Senator Dick Durbin, in the hearings, asked proposed nominee Coney Barrett about her dissent on a case Cantor versus Barr. Now, Cantor, this guy was guilty of defrauding sick people by lying about the medical products he was selling, also guilty of Medicare and mail fraud. So a career con artist, and he wanted to buy a gun after serving his time in prison. But the majority ruled, and he was blocked from doing so, because he's a felon. Barrett, who was then serving on the 7th District, wrote a 37-page dissent and took the opposite conclusion, saying that felons should be allowed to buy guns as long as they're not thus far convicted of a violent felony. So let's unpack this a bit, because Durbin did not talk about the right to bear arms in isolation, but compared it to the right to vote. Coney Barrett agreed that the right to vote was fundamental. But in her answers to Durbin, she draws a distinction between civic rights and individual rights. And here's where it starts to get twisted. She states that voting is a civic practice, much like jury service. And she says that the Second Amendment is the same because malicious may need to bear arms for the good of society. But what we got with the Heller decision in the Supreme Court was individuals are now allowed to hold guns in their own homes, not just for state militias. So this is something different. So how does this relate to voting rights? Well, the trickiness arises when the state steps in to take away these rights, like the right to vote, or in the Cantor case, the right to bear arms. But this is what I call selective impartiality and why Durbin's line of questioning is so interesting. If voting is a civic practice, why are the GOP making it so difficult for people to vote or so hard to get an abortion? But why are they making it not difficult to buy a gun. These are all rights. Why are some rights more equal than others? There's obviously an agenda here tied into money, lobbying, the packing of courts, the 30 million the NRA gave Trump to get him elected in 2016, the 20 million they paid in other races. Let's jump to Texas. Governor Greg Abbott's directive recently limiting ballot box drop-off locations to one per county in this state. So, of course, in denser, traditionally democratic-leaning urban areas. That's one ballot box for maybe four million people. So quite a long line there. The case was brought to the Fifth Court of Appeals and Abbott's directive was held up. The three judges who sided with Abbott, all appointed by Donald Trump. Then, Thursday, a state judge in Austin struck down Abbott's order because they said it would substantially burden potential voters' constitutionally protected rights to vote. So, it's a mess. Who knows what, what's going to happen? But again, looking at gun rights versus voting rights, what if there was a directive from Abbott to limit the number of gun stores in each county to one? Texas is an open carry state. Just Google Gun Stores Texas and you get Yelp reviews for the 10 best gun stores in Austin. Imagine if the governor tried to shut down the gun stores. So some rights are uplifted and others are impeded. Selective impartiality, folks. Follow the money. 
Well, that's about all we have time for this week, folks. Thank you so much for listening. To find out more about Gays Against Guns, find us on Instagram, on Facebook, that's Gays Against Guns NY, or on Twitter, GagNoGuns, or GaysAgainstGuns.net. Do consider becoming a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. We know you listen in every week, and we can sure use the help right now. And we are going to sing you out with our political singing queer tet, Sing Out Louise. He keeps golfing while we die, dirty gone. Tweet some crazy, crazy lie from QAnon. But you know.